Welcome to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions by casuals for casuals. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 46, and we're reviewing Death Note Part 2. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode, so you've been warned. Part 2. Part 2 of Death Note Part 2. Part 2, part 2, part 2. Well, this is technically Part 2 of Part 1. Yeah, it's our it's our version of Part 2 because we're splitting things up into three sections as we shared in the last episode. It's Part 1 is Episodes 1 through... 26? No, Episodes 1 through 13. Oh, like yeah, the actual our part one is one through thirteen. And then this part two is going to be on episodes fourteen through twenty six, and then our final part, part three, will be on episodes twenty seven to thirty seven, which is part two. Not to you know, incredibly confuse the situation, Mm -hmm. but yes. Although it makes sense, like why again, Wikipedia splits part one as one through twenty six. Like it, it does make its own story, so. We'll see what the actual part two, which is our part three, is going to look like. But before we get into all that nitty gritty, of course, we want to give a very big shout out to our newest patron, Rob. Rob, 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 Rob. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you, Rob, for supporting our podcast and everything that we do here and, you know, helping us to create more satisfying anime content um, hopefully for your, satisfying. for your listening pleasure <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we, we do appreciate your support very much and if you would like to support the show and get access to things like mini episodes and bonus content our show schedules and submit questions for us to answer on our podcast and in our patron only q a then head over to patreon.com slash the strictly series so official i love it wow thanks <laughs> i have the face for podcasts <laughs> Um, on to some other fun stuff, some some Death Note unrelated items. We went to an anime concert recently in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It was fun. There was um, some group put on a, a series of anime candlelight. I say it's some group. Some group. Some I don't random. know who did this. <laughs> it was an official group like production. Yes, but... yes. It was official. I just don't know who, who put it all together. Regardless, it was a candlelight open air um was it a four-piece, five-piece orchestra? It was a quartet, like quartet. a string quartet. And yeah, they, they were out here in Chicago playing, as I said, favorite anime themes. Some notable ones were the Evangelion theme song, Sailor Moon, Inuyasha, which the Inuyasha one was an actual medley. They mm-hmm. played. Um, they didn't play any openings or endings. They played some of the more iconic theme music um, or soundtrack Songs, like score. whatever score. Yeah. yeah, there you go. And I, I had a, a great time listening to that. Um, what else did they play? Demon Slayer? You're missing the fact that they played Death Note. <laughs> Wait, I was going to get there. You got to get them. Oh, you got to. Okay. All right. Ignore that. Ignore that last part. But they, yeah, <laughs> they played, <laughs> they played uh, Demon Slayer, um, of course, Gorenge, um, and Attack on Titan. They, they played the national theme of anime the national anthem nice. of anime and I, our group of friends we we stood up and we put our hands over our hearts Shinzo <laughs> yes yeah, so that was a that was a quite a treat but most importantly as all of you were were paying attention earlier <laughs> they played death note yeah <laughs> i had to contain my um my excitement of going ooh, 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 while they were playing it <laughs> yeah not it was to disturb the, anyone else it was the first death note opening which um we've now gone beyond 
we'll get there. I think when we talk about episode twenty, we're now at the uh, the new set of uh, OP and ED for this show. But it was cool seeing. It was cool listening to it. I guess played by a, a string quartet. It's very unusual for some emo rock song. Yeah, and of course, like these are professional musicians that have music degrees and have gone on to have careers in music. So it was nice of them, you know, to venture out of like the typical classical um, sort of things you would hear in a concert and to, to play these songs from pop culture. Although it was kind of disturbing that one of them pronounced it as Naruto. Do you remember? That? Yeah, she said Naruto. And I think that's all a, a trigger point for, for weeks. Yeah, even me not having watched Naruto, I was like, no. One of them also pronounced Inuyasha as Inuyasha. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I haven't heard that one in a long time. Like, but it, yeah. to be fair, I think only one of the members actually watched anime. Mm-hmm. Um, and she... Uh, each of the the members stood up to introduce the next song in the, the the concert, and one of them, when she stood up, she's like, "I watch anime and I really love Sailor Moon," and she happened to also introduce the the Sailor Moon theme song. Um, one of them who didn't watch anime did say that for Evangelion, she she's like, "The only anime I've ever seen, and it was just a few episodes, was Evangelion," and I'm like, "Are you depressed? <laughs> Do you enjoy depression? Like, no wonder you didn't finish watching it or watch any other anime That's beyond the, that." <laughs> quite an anime to start. She was off probably on. like, "What the fuck is this?" And then yeah, that was probably her viewpoint of all anime uh, from that point onward. <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I. I was it was semi spoiled, but then it ended up not happening. Was I actually heard? So the musicians had a rehearsal space um, on the second floor above us, which was where the restrooms were. Um, but there was like a stairway leading up to it, so it was kind of an open space, and you could hear the musicians rehearsing. And I am pretty certain they were rehearsing Sonochino Sadame, the first um, OP for JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Yeah. And I was so excited, like, oh, my God, they're probably going to play that as an encore. And so the whole concert happened, and we reached the end, and everyone's applauding. And then the musicians go off stage. I was like, oh, they did not. (laughs) But I think it's because this was, like, their sort of matinee performance, and then they had a second evening performance following. So I'm sure they were saving that for, like, the very last um the last concert that would have been so cool maybe we we got tickets to the wrong time slot we should have gotten the the later ones we could hear the jojo the first jojo op but yeah i heard that too and i got really excited and yeah i was a little disappointed they didn't play it for for our show but they did stray a bit from the um the the program yeah the program because i think they had didn't they have yuri on ice on there but they didn't actually end up playing it for our concert yeah, they might have mixed up a couple things um, between both concerts. But I guess, yeah, I was just glad they, they played Death Note and Attack on Titan. Jojo I mean, would have been like the the cherry on top. but I mean, we technically got to hear it. Yeah, you know, just cause... the... <laughs> Not to get any copyright strikes. <laughs> All right, so on to the topic at hand, Death Note. Our part two, episodes 14 to 26. Um, oh my God. It, this one was a roller coaster for sure. I think the, the first part of Death Note was a consistent high. And I would say the second part of Death Note started off really strong. Took a slight dip. Don't get me wrong. It was still very entertaining. It was very exciting. It just wasn't the same feel. There was certainly a tone shift that happened. Mm-hmm. But then at the end, it came right back up, I think, to where the first part was. Um, I don't know. Did you feel the same about that? Yeah, I would say for, again, our part two, which is part one, part two, the show felt like it semi-reinvented itself. 
and it turned into this really strange corporate heist plot um, sort of situation, which was, was a weird flex, but okay. And it was interesting that, you know, with the Death Note shifting to someone else's possession, again, the killings transitioned over to like these corporate targets or these corporate enemies. And we had this interesting perspective of Light, who we knew as the real Kira, now on the outside looking in, having no recollection of, of being the serial killer and trying to solve the case on its own. So we, I would say like in that sense, we get more like authentic reactions from him rather than him just having this facade. But of course, towards the middle of this part, it, it gets fucking crazy when the tides turn back into Light's favor and his master plan uh, finally comes to fruition. Yeah, 100%. I feel like that tone shift um, was aligned one for one with with Light and who he was in that moment. Like when he when he relinquished ownership of the Death Note, we started getting some comedic relief episodes, which is not a bad thing. It was just different from everything else we had experienced up until that point. Mm -hmm. And then when he regained ownership, it was like back to dramatic and brooding and very dark. Even the imagery took a complete 180 at that point. Um, I also felt like throughout this part, I was so hungry because L was eating way more than he usually does. He was snacking yeah. and eating dessert constantly in front of those TV screens. He has a real fetish for like pastries. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, he was eating a banana and he was eating fruit. And then I think at one point, maybe he was eating like mochi. He had ice cream at, at a certain point. He had a he lot had, of coffee. He had Hello Panda. Yeah, which he had I Hello Panda, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I'm sure the name was changed for, uh, you know, for ad purposes mm -hmm. but i was i wanted to eat everything he was eating and a few notable moments um first off is the strawberry moment which my sister told me was one of her one of her favorite food moments in this show and it's when light i'm sorry when l is talking to um the task force about the two other detectives coil and then i don't remember the other guy's name revealing that they're all actually him and that he uses these other fake detectives to throw people off when they're trying to find out who he is as L. And then he has the strawberry in his hand. He's like, I'll give you the strawberry if you can keep this a secret. And he hands it to Mogi. And Mogi just accepts it without any hesitation and just puts it in his pocket. He <laughs> so just put the strawberry stupid. in his pocket. He didn't even eat it. He just put it in his pocket and like just went about his business as if this was totally normal. Well, he did keep the secret. He did. He did. <laughs> and then uh, the other part that I really liked was when, uh, I think it was one of the later episodes of this part where L was stacking his creamers. I think they were supposed to be creamers. If they're not. They were like empty creamer packs. Yeah. Right? They look like the, you know, when you go to a restaurant, at least here in the States, and you've got the little circular mini creamer things. I used to do that when I was a kid. I'm sure a lot of people did. You would stack them like, I don't know, opposite of each other to make as tall of a tower as possible. And he did that. And I was like, oh. That's nostalgic. Did also, you ever do that? No. I oh, say that's also that? stupid. <laughs> but I guess if you're bored at a restaurant, yeah, what else can you do? Yeah, as a kid before, <laughs> you know, cell phones and all that stuff, that's how we stayed entertained while our parents ate. Mm -hmm. Any notable food moments for you? Um, Was this where the cake scene happened or was that, did we already talk about that in part one? I think the cake scene does happen in this part. I think it was episode, I'm looking really quick here, 18? Yes, the one where, you know, it's not really focused on the cake, but it's just like 
L and Light's first physical altercation. First physical contact. Because you know, I, like, I know your sisters told us about the cake scene, and I was expecting like a cake fight or something. But <laughs> it no, was, it was just her stepping on the yeah. cake. <laughs> <laughs> she like, or like, Misa, yeah, Misa steps on the cake and has like this weird reaction. She's like, ew. <laughs> like, okay. But yeah, it was that scene and just remembering uh, L eating the Hello Panda crackers at the end i really wanted I, some hell panda yeah that. like i that's one of my favorite like japanese snacks so although i noticed like he would only bite the torsos off did you see that he would only eat half of the snack oh did he really that's what i thought because one of the detectives noticed it too and he never eats like the act the full panda snack or whatever that's wasteful also i guess that's where the majority of the chocolate's at but mm. how do you even do that it's so small yeah i don't know i was Maybe he has some sort of OCD when it comes to eating those. I mean, yeah, this is the guy who holds a cell phone from top, like from the top of the cell phone hanging yeah, down. Yeah, <laughs> and just has like this weird foot exercise thing. Oh my God. <laughs> but all food talk aside, let's go ahead and jump into our synopses and discussion for Death Note Part 2 or Part 1, Part 2. <laughs> Death Note is a 2006-2007 anime series based on the manga series of the same name written by Sukumi Oba and illustrated by Takeshi Obata. In the second half of part one, college student Light Yagami begins assisting in the investigation against Kira and his mysterious killings whilst taking a gamble with a lengthy secret scheme. Beginning with episode 14, Friend, Friendo, Light, My friendo. <laughs> Light intends to use Misa so horny in taking down Ellock Holmes and threatens to kill her if she doesn't obey, but Rem in turn threatens to kill Light if any harm comes to Misa, which in turn will kill the Shinigami. Meanwhile, Ryuzaki is confused as fuck about seeing double Kira queens, but presumes that they are working in cahoots. So Light asks Rem if she could kill L, to which she simply responds, Okay. Is that really all it fucking took? <laughs> um, one quick thing. I know we talked about this OP um, in the in our part one, and we were talking about like the some of the images, like the Pieta statue that's represented here. I think you pointed out that it was Naomi holding Ray Pember here. So Naomi being the Mother Mary figure and Ray Pember representing the the Jesus figure. So we got that mystery solved because I think we were trying to figure that out in in part one. Yeah, we got to see it a couple more times. I was like, there there he is, Ray Pemba. Mm-hmm. But I think most of this episode, I was just thinking, Misa's just a stupid, naive girl, and she's going to just cause so much trouble for life. <laughs> but is she really that stupid? Because I think about her getting the Shinigami eyes, right? And at first, I'm like, that's dumb, because now you've sacrificed half your life. But then again, her lifespan is already well past what a normal human's lifespan would be because of what happened with Jealous. Mm -hmm. And so taking the deal means it's shortened closer to a more reasonable lifespan. So she had nothing to lose taking that deal. And I think she knew that. Um, plus, she'd probably live a healthier life if she didn't live to be like a million years old. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I, I think that while she has she she doesn't always think before she acts but at the end of the day what she's doing and um what she actually ends up achieving is in favor of light's overall goal yeah and he learns how to kind of use her to his advantage but keep now, her under control <laughs> but yeah now it's the second person in play and it's sort of become light's burden to to make sure that she is under control um and that 
you know, he doesn't cross Rem. Otherwise, like, sh he'll get offed. Well, I think to, to that point, when it comes to the, the videotape situation, for her to come up with a scheme like that is pretty brilliant. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at the finer details, when she puts out, I think, that second set of videotapes, that's when, you know, Light, or not Light, L finds things like the dust or whatever and, like, the hair that was attached to the envelope or something. So I think she's not as good at those finer details as Light is. Like, she can think on a broader, like, broader viewpoint mm -hmm. on how to put together these plans so that you know again light can reach his goals but she's not good at slowing it down and looking at the details the way light is as we see in his final you know long long game scheme here at the end of this part um so she she fucks up in those ways because yeah she's just not taking the time to pay attention to the details and i think it's part of like her just tunnel vision love for light like she's so infatuated with uh, pleasing him and getting to know the real Kira that like she she does come up with these elaborate screams but like you said doesn't chalk out the finer details of them I kind of like it though because I think her wildness her wild side her her being on um, difficult to to read and kind of unexpected puts light in a situation that where he doesn't have full control because I feel like everything goes according to plan for him. And I'll comment a little bit more on this at the end of um, this part two discussion. But I, I feel like having Misa in the mix on top of having Elle in the mix, you know, you, you see light slip a bit. Um, he makes a couple of mistakes. He doesn't think as thoroughly about things as he should. And yeah, he's got to deal with that. Not everything is going to go as smoothly as, as he plans it. Mm-hmm. The only other thing I have about this episode is I think towards the end, Al and Light have a conversation um, about the the two Kiras having made contact, and Al comments that he considers Light a friend now. Yeah, he says Light is his first real friend, and I'm like, is that to throw him off, or is that genuine? Yeah, I was going to say, is, is Al trying to plant seeds with this sort of emotional connection with Light? So that Light starts to feel remorse about his role as Kira, although Al still doesn't know for sure that he is Kira. Or is Al just really a lonely guy? <laughs> yeah, and I think um, if it's the former, if he's trying to establish an emotional connection to try and deter Light from continuing these killings, I don't think it works. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously we know what happens by episode 26, but I don't think it would have worked anyway because as we saw when Light's dad had a heart attack, he had no remorse he had no moment of of reflection saying oh shit my dad had an actual heart attack this is what it feels like to almost lose a family member he he didn't react at all like he reacted in terms of his you know keeping up his facade at the hospital but when he got outside he was like yeah ryuk we're gonna keep doing this shit and i'm gonna rule the world he didn't mm -hmm. care at all so i don't think any amount of friendship would stop light from trying to to kill al as you know we'll talk about <laughs> a little bit <laughs> yeah in episode 15, Wager, believing that his goose is about to get double cooked by the two Kira queens, Ryuzaki decides that Light be arrested in the event that he is killed, throwing Light's goose dinner plans off course. After Misa So Horny interrupts a conversation between the two, Light learns that she is arrested on suspicion of being the not Kira queen and is being tortured by Watari Pennyworth to extract info from her. Rem suggests to Light a last resort of having Misa for forfeit her death note to wipe her memories, and thus Light puts his next anime scheme against Elle Holmes into action. 
have they talked about forfeiting the death note before this episode because when she did that i was like oh you can do that since when <laughs> yeah i think this was the first time they talked about it and i wrote here like for someone to forfeit the death note and cause their memories to disappear it just seemed like a very convenient plot device at yeah. the time and i mean like obviously it pays off with figuring out what light's whole scheme was all along but here it just feels like a, a writing choice just to kind of move the plot forward so i know one of the consequences of using the death note is that you're basically in purgatory you can never go to heaven or hell but if you forfeit the death note does that now go away could you make it into to heaven or hell because i'm wondering like light aside because light has like a, a long-term goal with his death note if someone wanted to use the death note to just kill one person and then they they achieved that goal could they forfeit the death note and then be like now i can get back into heaven because i for i forfeited the death note even though i used it well, or am i just overthinking it at this point <laughs> yeah because i would say you still killed someone you still used it <laughs> yeah, so you technically... still used it so that's like that that sets you up forever i wouldn't think like oh you know what we'll, we'll forgive that if you forfeit everything yeah that makes sense so I guess uh, either way, that bitch is... Well, I was going to say he's going to hell, but he's not going to hell at all. <laughs> <laughs> he's just in limbo. I think this episode took a bunch of big risks, um, especially with, you know, L telling the police to arrest Light if he dies in the next few days. And then straight up tells him that, right? Because L loves to put Light in a corner. But I think the biggest thing that I'm really hoping comes back at some point is the part where L sees Misa's hair move on camera when he's interrogating her remember right before she mm. relinquishes her ownership rem kind of brushes her hair aside and l notices it and i'm like that's that's huge right that like that's something there's something there and it never gets brought back up during the time that l is still here i mean it's implied that it's rem right like talking to misa at that point we see implying... we see rem actually take her finger and brush mm -hmm. her hair out of her face and then that's what's shown on camera minus rem being there because he can't see rem because later on they acknowledge like it's the existence of the shinigami right but they never bring up that video mm. and i want to see that get brought up again i hope it doesn't just disappear maybe it'll play a small part in this last section of death note but i really hope it kind of comes back because l had a very distinct reaction to it and i mean that is pretty important yeah. Two other things that I noted from this episode. Um, there's that dream-like shot of light standing above the city um, as he contemplates, like, because here, like, he intends to kill L like, the very next day or whatever. Um, and then it, it's juxtaposed with L standing across the city. There's this a visual that I think um, is referred to again later on when both of them are standing um, on the rooftop. So it's just an interesting choice of, you know, juxtaposing the both of them. And I think there's a shot of also light falling off the building when he thinks that um, L has thrown a wrench in his plans. And then he stops midair and comes up with his scheme, which I thought was, again, a nice metaphor of what light has come up with to, to kind of battle this current situation. So kind of like he feels defeated and then he's like, oh shit, wait, I can actually get, get out of this situation. Yeah. And so he goes back up on, on the he rooftop. Shoots back <laughs> up into the sky. <laughs> the second thing, and this is like a minor detail, is I think Misa's phone starts playing the ED, which 
I think this happens a lot throughout the this part where certain people's phones just just play the op or ed of, yeah. <laughs> of, of the series which is kind of like very meta but you know like what else would you use as a ringtone I yeah guess? why not use those <laughs> yeah i really enjoyed at the end of this episode when light says this is goodbye ryuk and ryuk's reaction was surprised or shocked right before the episode ends. It was so funny the way it was edited. Like Ryuk reacts to it and then the episode just cuts. <laughs> it's so great. And he he's a really great character. He's, uh, as I mentioned in the previous podcast episode, one of my sister's favorite characters. And I completely understand why because he is unexpectedly funny. He doesn't look like he should be funny. Yeah. Look at his fucking face. He, the guy can't even blink, but he's really funny. In episode 16, Decision after closing up a shady deal with Rem and Ryuk in the Forbidden Forest, Light asks Ryuzaki to put him in solitary confinement as he believes he is subconsciously acting as Kira Queen. Chief Yagami also asks to be confined so as not to cause a conflict of interest. It is revealed that Light plans to relinquish ownership of the Death Note to Ryuk at a certain point under L. Lock Holmes's watch. As the killings subside during his imprisonment, Light says the magic word and has a sudden change in behavior by desperately claiming his innocence. Nonetheless, two weeks' worth of killings continues, confusing the living fuck out of L. Lock Holmes. So this was a pretty crazy episode because it took the show in an entirely different direction without, without feeling too much like a cheap twist. Yeah, I have to say, Light, he, this is probably one of his ballsiest plans so far. Um, and to that point, they, they do take huge risks with the show um, and with the writing, but they always know how to make it work and make it decently believable. I, again, with any anime, you have to suspend your, your disbelief to a certain degree. But to have a character reveal he's probably the killer and asked to be placed in jail and then find a clever way for him to get out of the situation and kind of redeem himself is not an easy thing to do from like a writing standpoint. At least mm -hmm. I assume I'm not a writer. I wouldn't know for, you know, for fact, but I am impressed at how they, they do try to, um, how, how they do manage to bring everything full circle. Cause I'm sitting here thinking like, how is this going to play out? How are you going to make this believable? How are you going to make this end well? And they did it. They, yeah. they fucking did it. It's very tight writing because we see here like light knows enough about himself that he can kind of predict what his actions are going to be in the event that he does lose his memories. And it, it pretty much plays like piece by piece uh, up until I believe I forgot which episode where he gets his memories back. Um, but regardless, like even post transformation, I, we see light acting pretty genuinely for the first time in the series, you know, since he doesn't have his memories and he called it like he still wants to prove his innocence um, as not being conscious, like not consciously being Kira and still desperately wanting to help the investigation and taking down the killer. Yeah, and at this point, I, I wasn't quite clear on how all of this would help Light be cleared as Kira. Um, it becomes a little more uh, clarified by the end of this part, but at this point, I was like, I don't fucking get it. I don't get how this is supposed to help. I think he's acting fucking weird doing a 180 like this, and if I were Elle, I'd be like, this is suspicious as fuck, which he is suspicious, right? Mm -hmm. um but ultimately he kind of falls into light's ultimate plan i mean by the second episode it helps because we see again light's genuine reaction to his father i'm trying to kill him right if al didn't buy that reaction he would know for sure that he was kira true that's true 
And speaking of Light's dad, he's a Chad for asking to be taken off the case and put in confinement because he knew, similar to, to Light knowing himself well enough, he knew himself well enough to keep um, to keep himself separated from, from everyone, knowing that he would not keep his cool given his son is the prime suspect. I think that's, that's pretty awesome of him. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me so scared he's going to die in the end. I'm so scared for him. Like, he's such a good character, like, too good of a character where I'm worried something's going to fucking happen to the guy. Yeah, I, can't, I kind of feel sorry for his dad because he doesn't know what's actually going on and he's just being thrown around. Although, like, again, he has good intentions. It's just he doesn't see the bigger picture. And it's kind of sad, too, um, to kind of add to that, that he's one of the most genuine and kind-hearted and righteous characters, and he gave birth to basically the world's greatest evil. The Antichrist. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's a commentary in there somewhere about, you know, the good in this world being (laughs) overshadowed by this terrible evil, but I'm not going to go into that too much. He tried, though. He did name his son Light, so he was hoping for good things. (laughs) It's kind of like, I believe, Lucifer, which is like the uh, Satan's former name, because Satan was, or yeah, Satan was an angel before his fall, according to Christian mythology. And according to the devil's a (laughs) part-timer. Yeah, that too, if you want (laughs) to reference anime lore as well. Um, I think there's a similarity there because I believe Lucifer is actually means light as well. Oh. Um, so, you know, fall from grace, if you want to look at it that way. Well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I commented on this in part one, like there's a lot of these religious um, overtones, undertones, and I think we could consider that one. One thing I wanted to point out that I realized after watching this part is this episode shows like, light and the chief in prison from like day one to day 15 right it's later established that ryuk writes a fake rule about needing kills within 13 consecutive days in order for the owner of the death note to continue living right mm-hmm. doesn't this break that rule why doesn't anyone bring this up well that's the point that's why they they can't suspect light and misa of being the Kira and second Kira because they spent three months or a month or some shit in in jail and they didn't die. So if they were the owners of the Death Note, if they were the ones killing people according to this fake rule, that's when they should have died. They should have been killed while in jail. And mm. then that's why later on, we'll get to it, but that's why L comes up with that final scheme to have a criminal who will be on death row to use the Death Note and then see if he dies 13 days later. Uh, okay. I see. I think, anyway. <laughs> I know some things are very complex in this show. Yeah, I was looking at it more like wouldn't the whoever the quote-unquote original Kira was then, wouldn't he have died by this point because he hadn't killed anyone for two weeks? Yes, that that's the intention of the fake. So the, I think the fake rule has two intentions. One, again, it's to prove the innocence behind well, quote unquote, innocence um, of Misa and Light by saying again, like they used, if they use the death note, they should have been dead 13 days later, but they were in solit- solit- solitary confinement mm-hmm. while being videotaped 24 7 and they never died. Therefore, how could they be Kira and second Kira? The other is to keep the notebook safe because uh, was it if you touch the death note or if you use the death note, whatever the rule was, if you don't use it in 13 days, you'll. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm messing up. There was a, f- a first rule, right, about not destroying the Death Note or anyone who touched it will die. Yeah. Okay, sorry. I'm mixing them up. Ignore that that second part. So the intention, again, proving Light and Misa are innocent, which obviously they aren't. 
But do you get what I mean? Like, it's it's 15 days and there hasn't been a killing. And I guess, a, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I'm thinking into it too much. But according to that fake rule, the Kira would have died. Oh, the assumed other Yeah, Kira? the assumed Kira would have died. True, yes. But then they also understand that they're, well, they, they deduce that there's the ability to transfer ownership. Yeah, okay. So then, or, I mean, if you want to get really nitty gritty about it, you could just say that he killed a random person, right? Mm-hmm. Like someone who maybe seemingly died of like, I mean, because you can, you can distinguish how the person dies and when they die. So they could have just killed somebody who's not a criminal, but like, you, how would you figure that out, right? Like, how yeah. would you know that that was a Kira killing? Or he killed someone outside of Japan, because apparently all these killings just happen within Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so they I think there's know. ways you could get around that. But yes, mm-hmm. I, I do understand what you mean now. Um, that the assumed other Kira would or should have died within 13 days. Yeah, but call it a plot hole or whatever. Guys, the show's very <laughs> complex, okay? There are a lot of things where I'm still like, what the fuck's happening? Mm-hmm. In episode 17, Execution, in order to prove whether or not they are the real Kira queens, Lock Holmes and the chief devise an anime scheme of their own where the latter attempts to kill his son and himself for bringing great dishonor upon themselves and their cows. Lock Holmes is convinced of their innocence based on the two not Kira Queen's reactions, though still considers the fact that Misa's DNA was found on the not Kira Queen's audio tapes. They move their investigative work to a reinforced building that was seemingly built out of nowhere as Light resolves to continue working on the case against Kira Queen. Elsewhere, Rem oversees eight business execs as they utilize the powers of the Death Note for corporate espionage. Seems like the invisible hand of economics has been given a dagger. That joke is for all you college business majors out there. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, okay, first and foremost, how did he build that building? Yeah. Is he saying that it was a pre-existing building and they renovated it? Or did he build that from the ground up? I don't know. All I wrote with my notes here was that um, it was a new facility, 23 floors above, two below. And... I don't remember if they said that, like, what, Tari and L financed the project? Yeah, they or did. Or if it was, again, a pre-existing building. But even if it was a pre-existing building, they would have to have added all of these modifications, which would have taken some time. Yeah, and so if they're saying that they built it from the ground up, literally there's no way. In the time frame that this has been going on, there's no way a, a skyscraper or, like, a mid-rise would be built that quickly. We would know. It doesn't happen that fast in Chicago. Well, it's okay? Japan. <laughs> but it doesn't happen that fast in Chicago. I doubt it happened yeah. that fast in Japan. Because <laughs> this was over, like, the course of a couple months, right? That yeah. This investigation Some of these skyscrapers on. are here for, like, years before they're finished. Mm-hmm. Other than that, this this episode went from starting like really strongly to kind of veering into like what the fuck territory. Yeah, this is one of those ones that I think this is where we see this in the previous episode is where that tone shift that we talked about earlier. That's where it happens because you're right. It starts off with Light's dad basically saying, "I'm gonna fucking kill you, my son. I'm gonna and hero," mm-hmm. and then he's like, "Um, but I'm not gonna kill you, Misa. You have I have no reason to kill you." And I, let me just side note here. Let me just comment on that because there's two things I thought about with that. One, I get he did that so that um, they would see if Misa being the second Kira could kill just by looking at someone. Mm-hmm. That's a huge risk because she can't, right? He could have like technically have shot Light if he if he was actually suicidal and she wouldn't have been able to do anything because she still needs to write in the death note. Of course, they don't right. know that. Right. The other thing I, I noticed here is that even if this is all an act, it's interesting that he says he's not going to kill Misa 
because Misa is supposed to live well beyond any normal lifespan. So I just, to me, it's like if this was an actual suicide, like killing suicide or suicide killing, whatever you call it, um, would he still have said, I'm not going to kill you, Misa, because something in the universe has to prevent him from killing her because according to the Shinigami, mm. her lifespan is still like however many hundreds, thousands of years long. So does she just get avoided, you know, being killed all the time because the universe is like, well, technically the Shinigami fucked up and she's got many more years to live. <laughs> that reminds me of a, that scene in Mulan with the grandma where she's walking on the busy street and like she avoids oh, she's all at these the blindfold with the crickets yeah. and then she never gets that's hit what, by anything. Yeah, that's what Misa's life is going to yeah. be. Could she like try to drown herself? This is going to sound really morbid, but could mm. she try to drown herself or do something really crazy and then just live, like live through it? No, the waters will part at yeah. that point like Moses. <laughs> She'll suddenly like be able to breathe underwater like, oh, okay. Yeah, because my rationale would be like she, Misa is still scheduled for execution even if the chief goes haywire at that point, right? So I'm sure yeah. like the authorities would have found their bodies and still taken her to the execution. But at that point, who knows if like the death row like workers mess up the the injection or whatever <laughs> and then she ends up just living. She's somehow immune or something. Yeah. That would have been kind of funny to see like in an alternate alternate reality. <laughs> yeah, like how she avoids any type of death. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so going back to the actual tone shift here, starts off with that, starts off pretty strong. And then he's like, oh, just kidding. I'm not here to kill you. I just wanted to prove that you guys were innocent. And I get that they're both relieved. But man, at some level, you got to be pissed at the guy. You have to be yeah. pissed at him and Elle. Like the fact that Light and Misa are both like, oh, okay, sounds great. We'll work with you. No, no big deal. We totally understand why you just made it seem like you were going to kill us. I think I would have found it more believable if they at least had some sort of like visceral reaction at the start. And mm -hmm. then it settled in like, okay, we get why you're doing this. At least now we're proven innocent. And I think there's a slight biblical reference here with the story of Abraham and Isaac where God asked Abraham to kill his son. Oh, yeah. You know yeah. that story? Um, but yeah, <laughs> I remember Family Guy did a gag on this where Isaac um, looks at his dad and he's like, are we going to talk about what the fuck just happened? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I was kind of hoping for that here. It was like with light just kind of lashing out at his dad, like you just tried to kill your own son here. But then... I think after this point, like the, the tension eases and the episode just goes into this weird, like sitcom y feel. Yeah, it's the first real comedic relief episode of Death Note. I do find Misa pretty funny, but I also felt like because it was more of a comedic relief episode, it was the first slow episode of mm. the show. Um, it certainly was not as captivating as, as the earlier ones. Although I will say, like, when Misa is, like, confessing her love for light in that room, you see a shot of the detectives sitting on the couch, and they're just seething. They're just uncomfortable, <laughs> and poor Light's dad is like, okay. Yeah, which, you know, that, that was, for it being, trying to go for a sitcom feel, that was pretty funny. Yeah, I, I think Misa's great. She offers something that none of the other characters offer. Her, her personality is pretty much the only bright and bubbly one in this show, mm -hmm. and I think that's needed. And we get the establishment of the typical anime trio here. Oh, yeah, we do. Right. Although they're not a long-lived trio by the end of this <laughs> part, but yeah. <laughs> In episode 18, Ally, Ellock Holmes has himself handcuffed to light as a precautionary measure, which causes an MMA fight to break out between the both of them at the new digs. Two months later, the pair suspect the Yotsuba group of being in cahoots with Kira Queen's recent spat of killings. As the mass murderer threatens the powers that be to swerve or get bent, 
Most of the team disbands from the police to form a separate investigation team, with the exception of Aizawa, who is torn with his duty to his family, and they add two members, two new recruits, Ibra and Weddy, to aid in their cause against corporate carnage. I think this one is mostly like an Aizawa-focused episode, which, by the way, he the VA is Keiji Fujiwara, who also did ACDC of JoJo Part 2, who... I think we talked about on Strictly JoJo, like he passed away last year, unfortunately. Yeah, very sad. But yeah, I thought, you know, like it was weird for them to include Aizawa as a focal point of this episode because it felt like he was just a one and in character. But thankfully, he ends up becoming a like a redeeming plot point later on. Yeah, I like him. He's a, he's a good character because he's kind of the straight man of the group because you've got mm-hmm. Matsuda who's... You know, just he's he's goofy. He's living his best life, I mm-hmm. guess. Yeah. Um, and then you've got, you know, Light's dad, who is a straight character himself, but he's willing. He's like too eager sometimes um, to go above and beyond. I feel like Aizawa is the realist of the group. Yeah. He understands like what's at stake, but he also understands what his limits are, as we see in this episode. Mm hmm. And this is the episode where the the stupid cake scene is. Yeah, I would say this episode overall, like this to me, I felt like everything was taking an odd turn. As much as I enjoyed the episode, I was like, things are taking an odd turn here. Um, But we do get another moment of uh, parallels between Light and L, or at least another piece of evidence of their parallels. And that's when L kicks Light instead of punching him back when Light punches him in the face. I'm like, mm. of course he would, right? Not only are they, you know, one for one in terms of like fighting ability, they also have their uh, unique strengths. One being the fist, one being the foot. Yeah, seems like L has a weird kind of foot <laughs> fetish in that sense. And you'd assume L doesn't know how to fight or that it doesn't come naturally to him because he's kind of like a squirrely character, but. Yeah, even even in fighting, fist foot fighting, whatever you want to call it, they're still one for one. Mm-hmm. And I also love that you know Matsuda kind of being the comic relief of this whole group to break up the fight. He calls them and just starts spewing out weird facts about Misa. <laughs> it was <laughs> like, so funny. It was, yeah, it was random, but like obviously it does stop the fight because they're like, <laughs> "The hell are you talking about?" Yeah, and apparently there's some some other uh, things that are noteworthy from this the scene. Um, I would say this fight between L and Light makes for great fanfic material since it looked like L was going to fall on top of Light in some weird accidental rom-com moment. Oh my and my sister, one of my sisters reminded me of this, that I guess people ship L and Light after seeing this scene and one of the other scenes we'll see later. And I'm like, okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, referring to the other scene, there's just this... A lot of weird sexual tension between the both of them. <laughs> Which is out of nowhere because mm-hmm. they hate each other. You know, it just makes me wonder if we should look up like Yaoi. No, <laughs> I mean, yes, it probably exists. I think I, I recall seeing some back in the days when Death Note was airing at anime conventions. Do I need to go dig for it? No. Could I, though? I mean, yeah, I could if yeah, I really felt compelled to. Like the precursor to tweaking Craig Yaoi. It's like Light and L. The other thing that's noteworthy is, um, as we mentioned in the previous Death Note podcast episode, um, is one of my sister's favorite scenes or moments from Death Note, and that's the cake moment. Um, So in the middle of this fucking fight, Misa was just spectating the whole time and then stepped on the cake. And then, uh, yeah, she just looks at it and is like, ew. That's all. <laughs> I mean, it's a great reaction, right? Like, you didn't need to have Misa step on the cake. You didn't need mm-hmm. to have any of that. But you know what? They felt compelled to add it, and I appreciated it. 
Yeah, why not just run with the sitcom you feel at this point before we delve into the dark aspects of this this arc? <laughs> In episode 19, Matsuda, not wanting to be a useless NPC, Detective Matsuda tries taking matters into his own hands by Solid Snake sneaking around the Yotsuba compound and discovers the eight execs' connection to Kira, but finds himself in a pickle rick when he is spotted. Under the guise of being Misa Sohorny's manager, he offers her involvement in their marketing campaigns and secretly contacts L through his belt. Thus, Ryuzaki devises a plan in which Matsuda fakes his death to throw the execs off his scent. The execs resort to hiring the world's second greatest detective, Coil, who coincidentally is also Ryuzaki, to dig up dirt on L. One of the execs ho- shows hesitance, however, and then there were seven. I forgot about the belt. I forgot that was a thing until he mm-hmm. used it. And I was like, oh, yeah, so smart. Well, here's a perfect um, reason to have those SOS belts or whatever you want to call them, emergency belts. Yeah. Because, yeah, I forgot about it until Matsudo used them here, which, again, shows that the, the show knows what it's writing about and remembers things from before. I would say overall, though, this episode was kind of meh. Like, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it because I like Matsuda's character. But as far as, like, what we got from it or what the key takeaway or plot progression was from this episode, it's just confirming that Yotsuba is tied to Kira. Like, for the yeah. task force to be able to confirm that. Everything else, like, there was nothing key about it. I guess you could argue, you know, establishing that relationship between Misa and Yotsuba with that potential deal um, to have her be their spokesperson. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I was like, I, you could have... This episode, you could take or leave, essentially. But I, I do, you know, enjoy seeing Matsuda and his crazy shenanigans. Although I will say that I felt like he got away pretty easily with the situation. I was expecting something more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, he just jumped off the balcony and faked his death and all was fine and dandy. Yeah, when I saw the title of the episode as his his name, I was like, oh, something bad is going yeah, to happen. I was like, he's going to die. <laughs> but, yeah, it just turned out like this was mostly... His time to shine, although he just ends up being comic relief in at the very end. Yeah. Um, and I guess the, the other thing that this, I mean, the previous episode already did, but this is just establishes um, the Yotsuba group kind of using the Death Note in a different means to a different end compared to how Light is using it, which I feel like I'm kind of capitalized upon later once we find out who the real Kira of this group is. In episode 20, Makeshift, the Kira Queen Task Force begins watchdogging the Yotsuba group meetings and learn more about their connection to Kira. Light and Elok Holmes come up with a plan to blackmail one of the execs, Namikawa, to spy on their behalf and postpone their next slab of killings. Impressed by Light's thinking, Elok Holmes asks if he would become his sleuthing successor, although El still has an inkling of sus that Light is the real Kira Queen and is just fucking with his brain. Zawardo's greatest detective then devises a plan to use Misa so horny to obtain more information about Yotsuba. Based on how, based on how horndoggy these titans of industry were in the previous episode, I doubt there will be an issue here. I would say this was a, another like slower-paced talking episode. And Wait, before we get there, should we talk about the OP and the EZ? Yeah. We get the new one, or new set. I don't know. They're all right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say... This was a slower-paced episode, and just the animation seems weird as a result, possibly because of a lower budget, so I would just like to focus more on the OP and ED. But, yeah, you you spoiled that, (laughs) but that's okay. Um, So both the songs 
are by the band Maximum, the Hormone. Which again, I don't know where these Japanese bands Maximum, come. the Hormone. Yeah, where they come up with these names, and it was kind of unexpected at first because you know we love the first OP so much, especially for how much we make fun of the, <laughs> the singing, <laughs> the singing style. But for the OP, it's the song's called "What's Up, People" by Maximum, the Hormone, and. I know the band is frequently compared to System of a Down, which I think is an appropriate um, comparison because this this song in particular has a similar structure to uh, BYOB for any System of a Down fans out there. It's a good song. But yeah, drastically different from The World by Nightmare because this is just heavy metal, screamo, and even the visuals. I think the funny, there's two funny parts of this OP. Um, in terms of the visuals, which is the bunched up light faces, which are all just screaming. And in the they're beginning. really ugly, too. They drew him yeah. real ugly. Because I thought at first it was L, but then upon subsequent viewings, I was like, oh, this is light just drawn really weirdly. And I think the second one is your favorite shot, which is... Ryuk with his apple just jumping for joy. It's so cute. I don't understand. Like, he's <laughs> and he's a like fucking, jamming out in a club or something. He's a fucking ugly ass Shinigami who doesn't even have eyelids. His eyes are just always bugging out. And he is so funny and cute. I don't know how you accomplished that, but somehow Death Note did it. I do. I will say I do like the visuals in this one. Song wise, it's fine. It, it fits the show, but it's not nearly as iconic as the first OP. But I like the visuals better in this one because there's more color to it. It's a bit more lively and a little less biblical from the first one. But it's not too colorful or too lively where it feels disjointed from the song and from the overall theme of the show. It's kind of like, I don't know, like rock meets something else that I can't think of. It's just a, it's a, there's something else that exists out there that I feel like emulates this kind of visual blend. Um, But I can't think of it right now. So moving on to the ED. <laughs> well, I would say well, one more thing with the um, OP is like with it being such a, again, significantly different style of music from the first OP, I think it just it represents a shift in tone for the series because now it's a lot more chaotic with Light's plans coming, like his true plan coming into fruition and then learning of L's demise at the end. So it's like this whole series is starting to descend into madness, which I guess is represented by like this whole screamo thing. And I haven't looked up the translated lyrics for the song, but I'm pretty sure the singer says sucker and fucker. (laughs) I thought too. (laughs) Yeah. I I did look up like the actual lyrics, which were in the the kanji. And then there were some English words sprinkled in and it says sucker and fucker. (laughs) Okay. So there you go. (laughs) I don't know how if this was aired on like Adult Swim, how they got around that, or if they just had um, filler music at um, for this OP. That's a good question. Although back in the day, Adult Swim didn't play the OPs. They only played the uh, EDs. They just went okay. straight into the episodes. Because I, this is a tangent, but um, I actually didn't know a lot of the Inuyasha openings. I only knew the, the endings um, until I was able to watch it outside of Adult Swim. And I was like, oh shit, these are bangers. How am I missing these? Because they're not playing them. So that's my theory, is maybe Adult Swim didn't even play it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, moving on to the new ED. Um, again, by Maximum the Hormone. The title of the song is Zetsubo Billy or Desperate Billy. Same thing, heavy metal, screamo. Um kind of focused more on lights here two distinct shots is light facing the camera 
while this crowd of it looks like business people have their backs turned to the camera, um, you know, just a, to single light out as this odd, odd outlier. And then a shot of light on an elevator, I think, going up. I mean, that's cool. It was this ED was was all right, I guess. Yeah, I I like the song. I think it's pretty good. Um, but the visuals are boring. It just repeats those images of light in a suit and on an elevator over and over again. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not really getting anything from this. But okay. Yeah, I mean that's all I had for episode twenty. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I've got a couple of things. Okay. So <laughs> the plot by this point seems to be progressing in the same way it used to. So I felt like even though we had a, an odd turn in the last couple of episodes, things were starting to veer back to the same original feeling of death note with some interesting twists and for example this one being you know light calling the executives or one of the executives directly at that board meeting and then l wanting to investigate separately and still thinking that light is kira and then also bringing nisa into the investigation like all these choices were pretty surprising so i felt like they're they were upping the ante a little bit more than they had been um recently and then you have, um, which I think was like a huge memed moment back in the day. It was Elle's, I don't know, people call it Elle's first kiss. I don't know if it's his first kiss. He didn't say that in the show, but we'll call it his first kiss moment when Misa gave him a kiss on the cheek. And hmm. that to me just solidified my love for this dynamic between Light, Elle, and Misa because they have an, they all have incredibly different personalities. I mean, talk about like the farthest different you know personalities on the spectrum that's these three and i love seeing them interact together i think it's so funny like them trying to navigate each other because they just are not on the same wavelength at any moment in time um i also want to call out l kicking light in the face as light punches him like again with the fucking feet just stop already like i I love seeing them be evenly matched but not when a foot's involved it's just so (laughs) nasty his foot's like on his face yeah, in terms of the trio, it's I guess it's an example of, you know, opposites really attracting with their different dynamic personalities. And the fact that I think L wanted to pair up together with Misa with his plan because Light was objecting to it a lot. That was again another interesting dynamic. Um, but I wanna take a cue from our strictly JoJo episode and I would say like this is just a, a transitional episode. Um a lot of it is just setting up for us finding out who the replacement Kira is at this point. Um, So a lot of, I think even this and the previous episode with Matsuda is just a lot of pieces being put together for the ultimate puzzle. I, I like that you brought up that L was very against Misa bring being brought into the investigation. Light. Did I say that? You said L. No, oh, I get a mix up. Man, Light is very <laughs> upset that L wants to bring Misa into the investigation. Um, this is the point where I was kind of reflecting on Light's change of heart from the first episode. So if you think about it, Light didn't know of the existence of the Death Note in episode one, you know, before it fell to the human world. Yet he had this very like misanthrope, very negative outlook on the world, saying the world is terrible. Um, you know, I just, you know, if I could get rid of all these criminals, things would be so much better. Like he just didn't care about the well-being of others in the same way that he cares about them now that he's forgotten that he used to be Kira. And it's just weird to me because I'm like, prior to obtaining the death note, he felt sickened about the current state of the world. 
And after relinquishing ownership of the Death Note, he still feels upset at the way things are going. But now he's behaving like, oh, all this Kira shit isn't all right. Mm. Like, how does that change of heart happen, right? Because despite Kira being a thing and these killings being a thing, he's still the same person theoretically before and after being the owner of the Death Note. It's just so strange that he's like a completely different person. Um, and to that point with, with the whole Misa thing, you see that because he's all like, I would never want to put Misa in harm's way. I would never want to manipulate a woman or use her love you know, against her. And yet when he is Kira, when he does have ownership of the Death Note, he has no hesitation to do those things to her. So my, my question as I watch the rest of the show is, is Light's is light becoming drunk on power and that's why he's behaving the way he's behaving or is he truly a bad person and yet for some reason when he's suspected of being kira he feels like he needs to be you know more of a well-behaved person and you know really be all gung-ho about catching kira does that make sense yeah and that kind of makes sense into why l is still suspicious of him um although i'm sure l wasn't aware that he was a misanthrope um before they actually encountered each other i think part of it might just be you know with his father trying to kill him at the very last moment of his or what he supposes is the last moment of his life may have given him a change of heart at that point and seeing like how how kira has like twisted everyone's minds um although having some similar ideologies with his altruistic mission i think Light here genuinely thinks that him or like this Kira approaching things is is not the right way, and so he tries to combat that by working with the investigative team. Yeah, it's just like so confusing to me because if you remove the death note from the equation, shouldn't he still be thinking, um, you know, through this part right where he's helping Light try to catch the the executive who's Kira or whatever? Shouldn't he still be thinking like at least internally? Like, oh, this is terrible, but I get it. I get why he'd want to do these things. I get, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of agree with this Kira guy because, um, you know, the world's terrible. The state of the world's terrible and we need to make a drastic change because that's literally what he was thinking before he first came across the Death Note in episode one. But here it's like he's he's like a totally different character because I yeah. actually root for him throughout this part. I'm like, he wants to do good. He even suspects himself of being Kira and wants to be cautious so that he doesn't cause any more harm if that is the truth, which we know is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the second he gets the Death Note back, it's like he's drunk on power again and does a 180 and is back to being the anti-hero who I'm not sure I could root for. I think it it's intentional because, again, Light, going into his plan, he knew how he would react and so by doing so, he is able to get this more genuine reaction of wanting to be the good guy. And then having that gamble or playing that gamble and then having it pay off with him getting his memories back just to like have that like 180. I, don't know, I think it, it's it all kind of plays into his, his favor still. It kind of makes you wonder that, again, if he had never gotten the death note and someone else did, if he would still have a change of heart you know, helping his dad with the investigation and stuff. Like, you know, is he really genuinely wanting to to help better the world through this investigation to catch Kira? Um, and if he still would have felt that way, if he'd never had the death note in between, it was never suspected of being Kira. I'm thinking way too deep into this. I don't know if he'll ever touch on this in the show, but it was just something that I noticed by episode 20. And then I, I feel like I continue to kind of think about as I see 
light shift back to him being Kira and taking ownership of the Death Note. I think another thing, too, is that it's a different Kira that is acting out right now. Um, and I think this will kind of go into what I will talk about with the next episode. Um, True, because Light does mention at one point that he's just killing criminals willy-nilly, not in the way that Kira, the previous Kira would, where it's like criminals mm-hmm. of a certain nature or whatever. Right. Um, so I guess I could see that. I don't know, it's just something that I've been I've been thinking about, as you could tell. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the next episode for episode 21, Performance, the Yotsuba group interviews Mitsa Sohorny and learns of her connection with Al Lock Holmes. During an interview break, Rem contacts her through having Misa touching a piece of the Death Note, though Misa still cannot recall being the not-Kira Queen. Rem fills her in with the goings-on and tells her to trust in whatever light plans next. Returning to the interview, Misa Sohorny identifies the third not-Kira Queen, Higuchi Kuchi, by seeing who Rem stands behind in the room. She subsequently goes on a date with the exec and gets proof that he is Kira Queen, though Elok Holmes is pissed and still sus as fuck, that he couldn't deduce this himself. I think it's just funny where, like, comparing this to Matsuda, he tried to take matters into his own hands. Now it's Misa's turn, and she kind of does it a little bit better than he did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, she's shown us before that she can do, you know, she can come up with clever plans and execute them pretty well without any, you know, mishaps. Um, And this is another one of those, uh, those moments. Although I was a bit confused at first because... She played back the cell phone audio for them, but we only got a snippet of it. And at first, I was assuming she was recording the entire conversation. So in my head, I'm like, how is she going to explain that she successfully killed someone on command without being the second Kira? And like, how is this not going to tip Elle off drastically or anything like that? But then I realized she only recorded the parts that she needed to, um, getting that confession from Higuchi. I'm sure Mm. she didn't record the entire thing. Or if she did, I'm sure she didn't play it for them. Because then she's literally admitting to being the second Kira. I don't know. For some reason, that went over to that went over my head at first. And then I realized, oh, it's just his confession is what she played for him. Oh, I didn't even realize that. But yeah, smart on her. And the whole thing with Higuchi, I think this is what I was alluding to earlier. Um, he is kind of an example of what happens when the death note falls into the wrong hands, which I think that's where Light um, takes up the crusade to take down this Kira because... I think before with the original Kira, he would have lined up with his ideologies. But here, it's the Death Note being used to kill out of greed or uh, competitive advantage rather than someone's criminal propensity, right? Because there's no ethical considerations here. It's just the Yotsuba group killing people so that they can have a better standing in the market or in the economy. Um, So in that sense, comparing the way that the Death Note is being used here with Higuchi to how Light originally used the Death Note. It makes him, his case, seem a little bit more like altruistic. And it's just interesting because I think I posed this question in part one. This is another answer to the question of what someone would do with the power to instantly kill others, right? Yeah, although, I mean, you could still argue that Light's use of the Death Note is not righteous by any means. His intentions I mean, yeah. are good. But his means are pretty pretty bad. And even even if he achieves his goal of making the world a new place, it's still self-serving to a certain degree because he's the only one allowed to judge mm-hmm. whether or not someone should should, you know, live or die based on, you know, their their criminal offense or whatever that they did with, that was wrong. Yeah, I guess more on like a scale of who is 
killing more ethically. That's what I meant. Like it's like the lesser like, of two good evils. Right, Wait, right. Lesser of two evils. Lesser so two, of two evils. Yeah. <laughs> two good evils. The lesser <laughs> of two evils. Yeah. So in this case, it, it's Light who seems more again ethical compared to Higuchi, but still pretty shitty. Right. <laughs> in episode twenty-two, guidance. L. Lock Holmes decides to test Higuchi Kuchi's killing method before apprehending him by having Matsuda appear on Sakura TV behind a panel and declaring his knowledge of Kira Queen's identity to bait Higuchi. The panel falls on live TV to reveal Matsuda's face, leading Higuchi Kuchi on a wild goose chase to discover his real identity in order to smite his ass as the Kira Queen task force monitors his every move. So I wouldn't say that the tone shifts back starting in episode 22, but I will say that things become hype again. They start to, like, the pace picks up again. Things become more intense in the scheme to catch Higuchi. Um, and I, I felt like things started to shift back towards the original Death Note that we were introduced to, starting with this episode and with mm-hmm. the subsequent episodes, because holy shit, these next three episodes, next four episodes are wild. Yeah, I think here... Whereas before, like, we kind of rooted for Light to to become, like, the victor here, although Light's kind of become a shitty person at this point. <laughs> um, here, like, I found myself, like, rooting for the team to, to catch Higuchi because, again, we see how terrible of a person he is and, like, just getting to see him face all of these obstacles as he's trying to figure out Matsuda's real identity was just kind of a treat, I guess. Yeah, it kind of felt like a bit of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say I don't care too much about these executives at Yotsuba um, since they, they're they kind of like an extension of the story. But the scheming around them definitely kept my attention. Mm-hmm. It was super interesting. And I did note, too, that at one point Light comments that it's almost scary how well things are going according to their plan, as if they can like read Higuchi and, and predict him so well. And at first I was like, oh shit, does this mean something will go wrong with, with like Masuda? Will he be killed? Um, is something bad going to happen? But I think that's foreshadowing for um, for Light's long game that he's playing. Mm-hmm. The the plan that he reveals when he gets, um, when he regains ownership of the Death Note. Because he also comments again at that point saying it went exactly according to plan. So it's like Light knew something was just going so well in the universe, but he couldn't quite quite put his finger on what that is mm-hmm. and then it's revealed later that it was all according to his plan from the get-go <laughs> which is pretty uh it's kind of a stretch there but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to that point and i guess to that point too just seeing the lengths to which higuchi is trying to cover his crimes in this episode you could compare it to light in a way like how light has been trying to cover up that he's the actual kira although like you said light's proven to be successful in that arena whereas we'll see here that Higuchi eventually meets his demise in episode 23 frenzy the task force observes Higuchi Kuchi talking to himself in his car though with the Shinigami filter on he is clearly talking to Ram about his situation Higuchi reaches the tv station's offices and after discovering Matsuda's decoy file writes his fake name in the death note but lashes out when he realizes he's been smackledorfed the task force tries to ascertain what in fuck's name he just did, as Elog Holmes concludes they just saw his MO in action. As a last resort, Higuchi Kuchi makes a deal with Rem for the Shinigami Eyes power-up to take out Matsuda at the studio once and for all, but a B-action film pursuit of the suspect has him cornered jointly by the task force and the police force 
with Aizawa's triumphant return and Watari Penu and Watari Pennyworth's insanely sharp shooting for his old butlering ass. So after many episodes of exposition, we get the first action-packed episode in quite some time, mm-hmm. and it was great. The this was great, and the next episode's great. Um, and I really appreciated the two moments where Light's dad and Light both say the same thing. So they both rejected the offer to use a gun, and both commented that it's not allowed in Japan. And I bring that up because, again, as we were talking about a little bit ago, it's just odd to me that Light is so similar to his dad. He wants to do the right thing. He wants to bring justice to Kira. And at the beginning of the show, he was so emo and so misanthrope and was like, I don't give a shit about anything. I just want to kill these criminals and, I guess, better the world. I just, I don't know, him having this change of heart and just doing the right thing all the time just seems odd to me. But, mm-hmm. again, I, I think I'm just harping on a, a moot point because in another episode or two, <laughs> it just reverts back to Kira. <laughs> I would say it shows that they are both similar in wanting to make the world a better place and they just have... doing the right or using the right means. <laughs> Although then we... they end up having different ways of getting there. Yeah, guns aren't allowed in Japan, but this notebook that kills people is. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would say like for this episode be to be titled "Frenzy" it was appropriate because it's just another frantically exciting episode. I think I haven't been this engaged with the series as with the previous episode where um light was trying to find out ray pember's fiance's real name because this the action in here is literally up to the minute because we're following higuchi to the the tv station offices and then following him in his car as he goes to the broadcast um it was just very exciting minute to minute stuff and i think the other thing i loved about this episode is you kind of see the two i don't want to say like they're two separate worlds but these two separate worlds colliding where it's the real world observing Higuchi's actions with a death note without realizing he's using a death note. And then that gap is sort of bridged here or even in the next episode with, I guess, that of the Shinigami world where they find out how he's been able to carry out these killings. Yeah. I To comment on what you mentioned earlier, I would still say that the Naomi episode is more impressive they're, they're very different right this higuchi chase and the the naomi i don't know what you want to call it chase i guess the walk <laughs> the walking episode <laughs> only because it is just a walking episode like how can you make something that's literally on like one block of a street in japan um and two people walking so incredibly intense and dramatic mm-hmm. that i was on the edge of my seat i i it's not at all to discount this whole higuchi arc but to me like that was that was impressive writing. It was very, very good writing. Here's yeah. like similar writing, just with more action involved. The only two stupid things about this episode, though, is Al just has this intuition to know how to fly a helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> like, did he learn through playing GTA or something? He, he literally didn't even try to do like the anime thing where it's like, oh, I, you know, I have, was part of the Japanese air. Yeah, Force. I have some like reason that I know how to do it. He literally just says, I don't know. I'm just going to fucking wing it. <laughs> and then the second thing is Watari, who's this old ass butler, is able to be this fine sharpshooter with a sniper rifle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, okay, it's, it's kind of cool. And, uh, I don't know if it's like a reference to Alfred Pennyworth of like the Batman comic series because I know Alfred had some military training before he became a butler, but still like that's just a little far fetched for him to ha- be able to 
shoot out Iguchi's car tire with such accuracy and then shooting the pistol out of his hand before Iguchi tries to end hero. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess props to the writers for just saying, yeah, we're not even trying to explain this one. <laughs> we're just going to call it intuition. And for some reason, Watari knows how to use a sniper. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other thing is, like, I thought at this point, like, is the show over? But we'll see pretty soon that the tides turn a lot crazier. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a correct phrase. But in episode 24, Revival, as Higuchi Kuchi is arrested on suspicion of being Kira Queen, L. Lock Holmes and several members of the task force get a hold of the Death Note and witness the horror of the Shinigami's existence. Light subsequently handles the notebook and regains a toilet flush of memories, revealing that this was all part of the plan. He inconspicuously depletes Higuchi Kuchi's HP and has the foresight to instruct Ryuk to write a fake rule in the Death Note about needing a death every 13 days to try and throw off L. Lock Holmes. Lastly, the real Kira Queen instructs Misa Sohorni to dig up his original Death Note to bring Ryuk back into the picture, and she makes a second deal for the Shinigami Eyes power-up to figure out L. Lock Holmes' true identity. And another appropriate title for a pivotal episode, Revival, because he's back, baby. As far-fetched as this goddamn long game seemed. <laughs> yeah, this episode was wild. Um, I didn't think they'd reveal the Death Note at this point and for the entire task force to have touched it and see Rem. But then again, this is the same show that revealed L to Light like only a few episodes into the actual story. Yeah. So why not? Why not just go balls to the wall and be like, here's the Death Note. Here's Rem. Here's everything. <laughs> Figure it out. <laughs> so just to clear up, they can only see Rem, right? They can't see Ryuk because they haven't touched the other Death Note. Correct. Okay. Um, I do also want to say that this is finally where the tone shifts back to the original tone from the start of the show. Dramatic and dark um, versus the recent comedic relief and lighter feel. And it's because Light has regained his memory. So I, I kind of predicted that that was going to happen. I had mm-hmm. some things in my notes back when we had watched some of the earlier episodes of this part. And yeah, it makes sense that this is where things become dark and eerie once again. Yeah, I think just watching like other anime, I'm not going to spoil it with any names. Like you can tell when some of these characters are just really playing a long game and it just all pays out or pays off here in the end because now Light has returned to his mission and is just balls to the walls ready to finally take down L. Um and it's kind of sad cuz I think you start to see L losing his edge in this episode because they read out the rules and he takes the he doesn't know they're fake but the fake rules into consideration and it's like has the world's greatest detective finally been stumped yeah i think he's dealing with something so supernatural so beyond human explanation that maybe it's beyond his his capacity i mean he Mm -hmm. did freak the fuck out for some reason when the second Kira video came out and mentioned Shinigami and he panicked and fell out of his seat. Although that's still kind of unexplained at this point. Yeah, I don't know why gonna, he reacted that way. Yeah, I was going to say we get, uh, we'll talk about this in the next episode, but we get little flashes of his childhood. And I wonder if that's just tied to an experience he had that we haven't seen yet. Because I know there's, after part two, or our part two, um, there's 11 episodes left that might play into that. I was expecting more of a panic from him in the helicopter when he saw Rem. 
granted he's like far away right but mm-hmm. to see something like that and all he he did have like a moment of surprise and he he commented like oh shit it's shinigami they are real but that was it after seeing him panic just from hearing the word shinigami in one of the previous episodes i would have thought that he would have had a more i don't know outlandish reaction yeah but a lot was in this episode. I mean, just so much. So again, like, first Higuchi is apprehended, and the Death Note and Rem were revealed, and the Light and Misa regain their memories. Now Ryuk is back, and then Misa halves her life again by making a deal with Ryuk. And that part in particular was surprising and a bit confusing to me, because why does she need to na- make another deal with Ryuk to gain the Shinigami eyes again, even though it's her original notebook? But then when I thought about it a little bit more, hopefully I explained this correctly, I think when we got that flashback of Light instructing Rem and Ryuk to, you know, kind of hand off the notebooks between each other. I think what ultimately ended up happening is that Ryuk and Rem switched ownership of their two notebooks. So although Misa Mm. is now taking on her original notebook, it doesn't belong to Rem anymore. It belongs to Ryuk. So now she has to make a deal with Ryuk in order to regain her eyes. Um, I just, yeah, that was surprising to me. I, I didn't expect that. But again, it's not really an issue for her because I imagine even if she halved her lifespan, she still is probably well beyond that of a normal human, uh, a normal human's lifespan. So mm-hmm. she's probably just having it again to get closer to a normal life. Yeah, she's at like <laughs> 300 now or before she was like 1,000 years yeah. or whatever. But God, what a lot of foresight on on Light's part to figure out how to manipulate the ownership of the Death Notes. Because, yeah, that, that scene was kind of confusing at first, but I think the way you played it out makes a lot makes a lot of sense. A um, couple minor details. With Ryuk's return, it's funny that, um, you know, Misa gives him an apple um, on Light's behalf as, like, a reward for helping him out. And, like, Ryuk's just overjoyed. But then he gives her an apple from the Shinigami world. And she's like, it tastes like sand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, at least Ryuk was just, you know, just trying to be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but it also explains why he loves human apples so much. Mm-hmm. I also love, just a quick side note, too, when he um, when she hugs him and he gets shy and becomes kind of, like, transparent or translucent. Oh, yeah. She kind of falls through him. And he was like, oh, sorry, I got shy. He's <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Stupid. But the other thing is, um, I think... Misa and Light are having a conversation in the hallway at the end of this episode. And this is where they kind of reinforce their ideals for the new world. And it shows Elle watching them through the security feeds. But can't they hear the conversations as well? I'm guessing no. I'm guessing it's just video. But in other feeds, they are able to capture audio, right? Yes. Yeah, this is where (laughs) I was kind of like, that's a fuck up on l's part because mm-hmm. he only for some reason at the front door he only has a regular camera uh there's a video feed and not audio feed because light even specifically says if i turn my back to the camera then no one can hear me and no one can read my lips i don't know that was just that literally i think that literally sealed his death mm-hmm. the fact that he installed a camera there that didn't have any audio despite the rest of them all having audio <laughs> Or did it secretly have audio? I don't, I don't know. know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I just can't. I can't think that L, being the great detective that he is or was, would overlook something like that. Mm-hmm. Would make that kind of mistake. So yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe he does have audio somewhere. In episode twenty-five, silence. You know some shit's about to go down with Ellock Holmes when the episode starts with a brief flashback, seemingly about his childhood. But never mind that for now, he can't get shit out of Rem about the Death Note because of her allegiance to Light, 
and more so to Misa Sohorny. Meanwhile, Light secretly has Misa kill criminals on his behalf, and Rem realizes that he has exploited her attachment to Misa and plans to use the Shinigami to kill Elok Holmes for Misa's safety. Light and L share a sexually tense but also sexually tender moment in the rain before the latter reveals his plan to test the 13-day rule of the Death Note. But in a spectacular turn of anime events, Rem sacrifices herself by sending Watari Pennyworth and Elok Holmes to their graves while Light secretly procures her Death Note and celebrates his long game victory. You bastard. Yeah, like you said, that anime trope. The second we got those little snippets of uh, of his childhood, I'm like, this fucker is going to die. Oh, he die. did. He did. <laughs> He's going to die. <laughs> and I was like, there's no way. Like, we're only at episode 25, and then he died. <laughs> and I just love, like, how, I mean, like, the, the anime itself, the visuals played up a lot, but it's a very unceremonious death for L. It's yeah. just him having like this sudden heart attack. It's not, he's not going out in like an explosion or anything. It's just a simple heart attack. Yeah. It's crazy. Let's talk about the feet drying part, which, <laughs> okay, like God. the rain and then like L drying Light's feet, I'm sure was meant to be biblical, but it was also kind of fan servicey going back to, you know, people shipping L and Light after mm-hmm. the the fist and foot fight. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't know how to feel about that. Like, that's nice, I guess. <laughs> A last tender moment. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just meant to be symbolic. Um, again, we have a religious undertone here because it's similar to um, the Bible story of Jesus at the Last Supper washing the feet of his disciples. And I think it's here it's like symbolizing a master that's humbling himself as a servant, almost to kind of say to light, like, okay, you've won this game. Like, I'm now being subservient to you. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just L acknowledging defeat and his shortcomings, which ironically is like a very godly virtue, right? But Light does not necessarily share this kind of virtue because he wants to be the victor in this situation. But he sees himself as the more godly one with his mission, right? It was, I don't know, the symbolism there was was just very um, interesting. And I just want to comment really quickly on uh, the previous scene where Alice starts hearing this bell on the rooftop. And he says it's unusually loud today. I, I don't know if this was like a reference to the poem For Whom the Bell Tolls. Oh. Right? Because I think the last uh, line of that poem is like, ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Meaning like the, the bell tolls for anyone who is close to death. So I think it's just foreshadowing that Al's about to meet his maker at this point. So Yeah. And like he's the world's greatest detective. So it's no surprise that he caught on and he knew and he bowed out gracefully mm-hmm. i guess one key thing though is at the very beginning of this episode after the flashback we see l approaching watari and he seems very troubled and i don't know if this is something that will come into play later um i think in the context of this episode it's implying that l wants to try out that or test that 13-day rule right but I think it might play into a bigger picture where is this where L kind of lays out a contingency plan with Watari that involves the two kids that we see in the final episode of this part one. 
That's what I'm thinking because I think about in the in Watari's final moments, he erases all data, right? Which was an agreed upon plan between him and L. Mm-hmm. But my first thought was like maybe they're trying to protect themselves outside of the task force, but doesn't that make it infinitely more difficult for the task force to discover that L, um, sorry, that light is actually Kira. But then I, I'm thinking because he did have, um, it, this may have been in the next episode. I may be jumping ahead a bit, but you get that quick note from L saying, you know, here's everything that I've learned about Kira in this case. If you're reading this, it means I'm no longer alive. Could that actually be him taking all the information sending it to whoever the fuck those people are at the orphanage um, so that they can take on the case next, but keeping the information away from L, I'm sorry, from Light, in the event that he actually is Kira. But That's my suspicion anyway. Yeah. But Light was smart enough to find this info, um, as we find out in the next episode, and then he deletes it. Yeah. Because <laughs> he, like he has, everyone trusts him to become the next um, L in this case. But was now thinking about that, do you think it's automatically sent to the orphanage? Because at the very end of that episode, mm. sorry, we're skipping ahead to 26 a little bit here, but at the very end of that episode, we get the countdown, and then at zero, an automatic transmission is sent to the orphanage to let them know that L died. Mm-hmm. So could that also include all the information from L's case? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, this was something that Light was unaware of. Like, yeah. this happened separately without him knowing. Because, man, um, that would be so stupid to delete all of the information knowing that, like, the task force mm-hmm. is the only group that, at the moment, could bring Kira to justice. But I think Elle would have been smarter than that, right? Yeah. Like, he probably put that message out knowing that Light would read it and that Light would just delete it to, to again, erase any um, record of his wrongdoing. Yeah. Um, so that he had, like, a second transmission sent out somewhere else that, again, Light wasn't aware of. So by the end of this episode, episode 25, Light has successfully, indirectly killed not only L, but Watari and Rem. Like, he really has gotten rid of every possible obstacle, at least that, that he's aware of. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how Misa will react to Rem's death. Like, what what, what does she do then? And, and will he kill Misa next, or will he find value in keeping her alive because she has the Shinigami eyes? And then mm. I think about this further, and I'm like, Misa's lifespan probably just shot even farther beyond a normal human lifespan oh, yeah. now that Rem died for her. Because, like, if you think about it, let's say in theory, after Jealous, right, she has a thousand years to live. Then she has that with her deal with Rem. She's at 500. Mm. Then she has it again with Ryuk, and she's at 250. That's still 250 years is a long fucking time to live. And let's say she gains another thousand years now that Rem's died. She's living 1,250 years well past again the normal human lifespan i'm like this bitch is gonna live forever okay <laughs> she's never gonna die she's gonna be a crusty little old thing and she's still gonna be living or by like wonder woman rules she could like stay in the same age or something i like to think <laughs> that if you if this happens to her she actually doesn't like age more slowly she still ages at the same rate so she mm. just gets more and more decrepit and like, like crusty the, and old like even. the um lady in spongebob yeah yeah the chocolate about. lady <laughs> <laughs> like that's what i like to think would happen but that, that could be a whole topic of discussion it's like punishment for this lolita girl who's all about vanity and stuff <laughs> and in the final episode for the technical part one or our part two episode 26 renewal a better working title for this episode should have been Recap, as we are subjected to a skippable sequence where Alloc Holmes recounts the events of the past 25 episodes. 
However, in meta fashion, we learn that it is all a recording that L prepared as a testament of his achievements, which Light promptly acknowledges with a swift click of the delete button. The task force unanimously appoints Light as Zawardo's next greatest detective as he continues working under the guise that L and Watari Pennyworth are still alive and well, and he informs an overjoyed Misa so horny that he wishes to elope with her because there's no way he's still going to try and exploit her, right? As part one comes to a close, we are treated to one more intense essay writing sequence from Light, where he ties up loose ends by killing Wedi, Iber, and the Yotsuba execs, and joins Japan's police force while having the world bend to Kira Queen's will five years later. But fear not, loyal listener, as it is revealed five years back that a secret transmission was sent to an elderly Mr. Roger at the Whammy's house about the death of Ellock Holmes, and he informs two children seemingly on standby thus begging the question, would the pair's name in this undoubtedly upcoming revenge arc be the double whammy? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Which is, okay, just to comment on it, I know there's Attack on Titan has another stupid name for for something that I'm not going to spoil, but of all the names they could have chosen for this orphanage or facility or whatever, they chose the Whammy's house. Like, what the fuck kind of... So they have named it Professor Xavier's School for Gifted yeah, Youngsters. Like, why not choose a more like regal-sounding thing? You yeah, know. like Xavier. No, they chose Whammy. I which... don't know. <laughs> so stupid. But... Um, quick question. There's a time skip? There's a five-year time skip? Did I miss that? At the very end, there's a, a random narrator who shows up. A random narrator, because yeah, yeah. it says that, like, um, five years later from the point that Light kills off the loose ends, he is he is at the age of twenty three and joins the police force. So, I totally missed that part. I had no mm, no idea there was a, a time skip. Yeah, okay. but then at the very end, it, it time skips backwards to the five years. Um, I think right when Light deletes that note, that transmission is sent to that orphanage or whatever. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. yeah that went over my head. Um, but yes, recap episode in the first half of this episode. Why? That was weird to say. Recap episode. Recap in the first half of this episode. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, to your point, I get they're trying to summarize what L knows. Um, you know, what all the info he's gathered. And again, if you're reading this, it means I'm already dead. But God, I just hate recaps. We I, we just skip straight through it because I'm like, mm-hmm. I already saw all of this. I know what happened. Although, to be fair, at the time that this was airing back in 2006, 2007, I can see the benefit back in the day of having a quick recap of everything that happened around Kira because the show is pretty complex. Mm-hmm. Like, I think a show with this many um, complexities and plot twists could benefit from a quick half-episode recap which I, I do appreciate they at least embedded as part of L's case files. Yeah, we saw that even with our reviews of Code Geass and I believe Gurren Lagan, like they peppered in these recap episodes. And it makes sense in the time that they were originally released because there were no streaming services and people couldn't just refer back to previous episodes by... Or just like jump on Google and have an infinite amount of information at your <laughs> yeah. fingertips. Well, I guess yeah. you kind of could back you then. You could, but, but it... Not as like readily available and as or as detailed yeah um unless you know you had limewire or or (laughs) something but i would say it was a nice twist on a half recap episode because it it plays again into being part of this file that l intended to send out to the investigation team um to formally charge light as as kira but again 
Light deletes it all and just has full control over the investigation now. Wah, wah, wah. But it's funny because at some point when it, I think it's 10 days after Al's funeral, they're back at the facility and Light comments that it's, he says like it's no fun without Ryuzaki here. And, you know, I think that's, here's another like Dark Knight reference. Oh boy. <laughs> it's like the no one can currently serve as the batman to light's joker um although even though that's the case like light still has a purpose going forward like he still plans to create this crime free world through nefarious means it's just that there's no one there to actually challenge him and ryu comments on that too doesn't he say that things will now get boring Mm -hmm. um now that light settled the score with l but then Light's like, well, no, because it's only just begun, and you get to watch me build a new world. And then Ryuk's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, we get the, the sequence again of the SA writing um, <laughs> writing the names atop the roof. And then he kills, again, he kills Weddy. He kills Iber. And that scene where we see Iber's kid come in, oh, it's so like, sad. yeah, that really hurt. And it makes you think, like, what kind of God claiming to be this benevolent being would allow this sort of sorrow without being self-serving which is what light is currently being because again iber wasn't inherently a criminal i mean yeah he was a con con artist okay but maybe he was like doing it like robin hood you know for for the good of certain people but anyways that I mean, he aside, was acknowledged by the task force and joined them so yeah um all that aside um it's him again just wanting to kill off loose ends not so much their involvement in like the criminal element although him killing the youtube executives i guess that's justified but again it's light starting to abuse his power at this point so at this point basically everything has gone according to all of light's plans even if some of those plans were a bit rocky because of misa or because of l um part of me at least my, my initial reaction was that it kind of dampens the parallels between L and Light because at the beginning of their rivalry, L really threw Light for a loop. But then towards the end, Light plays this long game using, again, a very risky plan where so much could go wrong or so much could be derailed. And somehow it goes exactly according to his plan um, to the point where it's like, did L even make a dent in this plan? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it kind of a little bit dampens L's abilities in my mind, but I would say not to the point where like, I'm not a fan of L or something like that, or I don't feel like he has these incredible skills like that. It's not to that point, but it is kind of, it is soured a little bit. Cause I don't feel like he necessarily settled the score. He like went above and beyond and really just steamrolled over everything with L because how do you make a plan like this? a multi-month plan where you actually lose your fucking memories and have no control over the situation from the the viewpoint of Kira, have it all still go exactly according to plan, like he said, when he regained his memories. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing to see that Al isn't as effective in this half as much as he was in the first half. Um, The way I see it is I don't know if it's the show trying to build up light to this extremely untouchable level only for it to have him like crumble down in this final part in spectacular fashion to to kind of turn light story into this tragedy and like i'll say like i hope it does (laughs) (laughs) because you know lights become kind of a dick at this point although like 
in certain respects, I, I, I'd still root for him. But that's the only way I can kind of justify seeing him being so successful with this long game. It also kind of makes me think, like, could Light have become another one of the world's greatest detectives and bettered the world that way? Because he's getting rid of criminals, right? And, like, I don't know, bringing justice to these situations through the Death Note. But couldn't he do something similar minus the killing part by becoming a detective like L and just arresting criminals and keeping them off the streets, making sure that, you know, they, they don't have um, any way of harming society? It basically would be L without all of the killing and all of the evil. I think what he sees as the fault in that is just the bureaucracy. Because um, I recall, I think, um, in the earlier episodes, there was a criminal who was in prison but then released um, on the streets, right? It sounds familiar. Um, I don't remember. Maybe someone can recall that for me. But it's. I think he acknowledges that like th sometimes the system doesn't always work in the general public's favor so just for him to just delete these criminals out of the equation is what he views as a more just society so i think that's why he doesn't want to go the proper route of again booking these criminals and making sure they never see the light of day because in the end it doesn't always work out that way True, and we can't forget this whole thing started because he was bored. <laughs> so the <laughs> the fastest way to entertainment is just to have it go quickly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and also thinking back to one of our other discussions from the previous Death Note part um, was whether or not we root for L and for Light. Whether or not we yeah. root for Light, because I think we all root for L, right? Um, whether or not we root for Light, and whether or not he's the anti-hero or the villain, because again, like there's a fine line between being the anti-hero but still being the protagonist and then mm -hmm. being the actual antagonist of the story. And I also think about just in general how many um, you know, anime out there follow, like have the main character be the antagonist of the story versus the protagonist. So it is kind of refreshing to watch Death Note and know that like I really am not supposed to be rooting for L, but he's the main character. He's the focal point. He's who we're going to be following the whole time. Um, it just makes you feel so conflicted as a viewer. Yeah, I would say the first half, it you're kind of rooting for Light because you just want to see him be like take the higher ground over L. Um, Star Wars reference, higher ground there, <laughs> um, and try to avoid suspicion. And then you get to this part where again you see Light becoming victorious. But I think at this point, with the final part of the series coming in. I'm kind of curious to see if it all just crumbles down for light. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Exactly. Um, so I, I think at this point I'm viewing him as the villain, although we'll see if the series makes him out to be the anti-hero that we're also theorizing about. I wouldn't be surprised. This is a, a crazy-ass show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that brings us to our final thoughts for Death Note Part 2 or part one, part two. So what do you make in light of all of these episodes? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, I think that there was a dip in the pacing. There was a dip in the intensity. There was a dip in the writing um, when we got that tone shift um, after Light relinquishes ownership of the Death Note and basically becomes a totally brand new person from the original person in the show. 
And it's, again, not to say that it wasn't enjoyable. It just wasn't as exciting. It just wasn't as compelling. Mm. I could have, you know, I guess skipped those episodes and just went back to light getting, <laughs> regaining the Death Note and would have been fine. Um, so I think that it was a choice on the writers to just have this crazy plot twist of light turning himself in, like a semi turning himself in um and basically showing us in the middle of a show like what it would be like if he went to jail and was suspected of the stuff versus like at the very end and him trying to prove his quote-unquote innocence i don't know like the it's just different from or breaks free from the typical formula in this style of show Mm -hmm. and i appreciate that for sure but one of the consequences of doing that was having the pacing slow down drastically and have this odd you know feeling associated with that where things were a little bit lighter things were a little bit you know more comedic um but then things just snap back with a 180 when he regains his death note by episode 24 25 24 23 24 so it's not to say that i'm disappointed by any means um this part was still really great it just wasn't fantastic 100 percent of the time but you know, you had the Higuchi chase, that that whole arc, which was intense and amazing and super well-written. Um, and then you have, you know, the, the fun moments between Misa and Elle and Light that are just really great to kind of break from the the darkness of the show. Because sometimes you do need that comedic relief. Mm-hmm. You really do. Um, so, yeah, I, I still appreciated this part very, very much. It just felt a little bit different from the first part. What about you? First things first. Damn, Light, you scary. <laughs> Um, yeah, again, this was a unique take on the the plot by having Light looking from the outside in in terms of like who's doing these killings with the Death Note and not having a recollection to it. And yeah, it, it kind of slowed down a bit um, as the uh, this half progressed. I feel like there was a lot more talking and transitional episodes, but it just brings you right back into the action. Um, once light regains possession of the death note and i wrote (laughs) i wrote a quote here from the office that kind of sums up what light's been doing um, this whole half and it's from stanley hudson and it's every day you do something stupider than you did the day before and i think there's no possible way he can top that (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's what light was doing here it's in light's case he's doing something wilder by instead of stupider, I guess, unless you want to consider it stupid by putting the death note into the wrong hands only to have it precisely end up back in his. And, you know, it just makes you wonder, how is he going to top this? But he is on top now. He is the top dog of the world and, like, exercises judgment on all of its inhabitants. Um, Obviously, he ended up and continues to use Misa and Rem to his own advantage throughout this whole part. But I think the question going into this last part of the series is, now that Elle's out of the picture, is there anyone that is as strong-willed to stand into in Light's way? Because at this point, we start to question if he is a benevolent god, which I think is very far from that, or if he has become a ruthless dictator. And I had this, I brought up this image in our first part, um, or episode on part one with Lady Justice and the symbolism of that between Light and L. I would say like Justice has become imbalanced by this point, right? Because whereas L represents the scales that Lady Justice is holding, um, Light represents the sword, right? 
the punishment side of justice. And that's what's strongest at this point. So who's going to keep light in check? Or will it be impossible to keep a quote-unquote god in check unless you're someone like Kratos from the God of War <laughs> series? And I guess leading our connected to all that is like, who are these kids, right? Is this orphanage like a breeding ground for the world's greatest detectives? Are, we are they s- kids or adults? I couldn't really tell, but yeah. I think they appear in this new OP um, at certain points. Yeah, the people who, are, who I was like, who the fuck are those guys? What but <laughs> they, from the way the camera was looking at, or the camera was positioned, they look like kids. But again, that keep in mind, that was a, um, five years ago, right? So there's a time jump where they get older. So I'm sure that's who we see in the OP. They hit puberty and get way older in five years. Right. <laughs> and that just all brings into question with this secret transmission that Elle sent to this orphanage or facility or whatever. Does L have a long game set, much like Light has its own? I like to think so, because mm-hmm. they've been so one for one. They've had great parallels this entire time. I'm really rooting for him to have his own fuck you kind of long yeah. game. <laughs> it's like, is this the ace up his sleeve from Beyond the Grave? Which that would be, <laughs> that would be crazy, but we shall see. And that wraps up episode 46 of Strictly Anime. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly series and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming service so you can be notified when new episodes premiere every Monday. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly series and on Twitter at Strictly series and connect with us there or on our website, thestrictlyseries.com to share your thoughts on the anime we review. You'll also find more info on Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe. Stay healthy, stay weeb. One of them was um, the the scene where L and Light are fighting and they fall on the couch. Apparently, it makes for great fanfic material. Rigby. <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs>